Good morning, College Park Church. It is good to see you, or should I say, it would be good to see you. Well, you know, I'm not Jason. Jason asked me to uh, fill in this morning as he and his family are moving from Chicago, Illinois to Huntington, Indiana. We're excited about that. And I uh, just wanted to say, Jason, we are um, really appreciative of you. Have to say this goes down as one of the most unusual pastoral starts in history. And I also wanted to say, I think I speak on behalf of College Park. We can't wait until you're here. We can't wait until we can be together in community. Um, and I also want to say that we're really grateful for you and the staff and how you all have uh, worked so hard in keeping us connected, even though we're socially distant. And we are really grateful for you guys. And we can't wait to, to be together again to be the church and to do the things the church does and to glorify God together. Um, just grateful uh, to be here. As you know, my name is Roger Bazo, and I've been part of College Park Church for the last 25 years as uh, my family grew my family here and Cindy and I are still here today. Um, I debated whether or not I was going to shave and clean up for you, but Cindy said, if I have to look at this all day long, they do too. Okay, you know, if you know Cindy at all, you know that she would never say anything like that. That's called COVID-19 humor, I suppose. I don't know, but this is what you have, and I tried to groom myself the best I could for you this morning. It is good to be together, and um, Pastor's been taking us through a series, what it means to be gospel people. Gospel people are people of dreams, people of abundant life, people of passion, people who are united, who live with generosity and grace. And last week we talked about gospel people being people of hope. I like that. It's been a good reminder of this is what we should look like, especially as we live out our lives in this culture today. People who are living their lives in and through the goodness of Jesus. This series has been a good reminder of journeying back of how we did last year as a church back all the way to the beginning of God's story and how that story was just a beautiful story of grace, yet it was a story that got interrupted or broken because of the sin and how it separated us from God and how God connected with us, reached out back to us, pursued us, and continued to, and gave us a covenant and continued to pursue that covenant, even though we would break it over and over and over. All through the Old Testament, we saw the many people that he used to keep this story going. And then we get to the New Testament, we see that Jesus comes on the scene to say, this kingdom that they've been talking about is now here, in and through me. And so this series is a reminder that this is how kingdom people live. This is how gospel people are to live. And that's the series we're in. So today we're going to talk about how gospel people are a people of freedom. A couple of weeks ago, we celebrated the death and resurrection of Jesus. And again, going down is one of the most unusual Easter's you'll ever experience. Uh, write things down. I want to encourage you because this is something that you may not experience for quite some time again. But we celebrated together. It was still good to be together, even though it was uh, digitally or um, uh, electronically. But uh, we were together and we were together in celebrating um, the freedom 
and living under the, brace, the, the grace, the umbrella of the grace and forgiveness of Jesus. So when we talk about freedom, we're talking about free from the grip of sin, free from bondage, free from oppression. And Paul reminds us uh, of this. He says there in uh, Romans 5, therefore, since we've been made right in the sight of God by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into a place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. That's good. It's a great summation of this is what it means to be gospel people, to be people living under the umbrella of grace and forgiveness from the cross and the empty grave, joyfully and confidently living in freedom. And as I spent time reflecting on this message, I was thinking of how amazing it is that we as Christ followers have this gift of living in freedom, a freedom that was bought and paid for by the death and resurrection of Jesus. But as I thought about it, it seemed to me that, man, so many of us really struggle to live in this freedom. I mean, there's just, there's just a number of reasons it seems like we seem to struggle to live in this freedom. Why is that? Why is it we have this one of the greatest gifts you could ever be given, but yet we somehow go back, like the Israelites did, wanting to go back to Egypt? And maybe that's part of it, is you want to go back to what you know. Perhaps there are a few reasons we, we do go back or we, we are unable to live in freedom. And one would be just maybe not fully understanding theologically. Uh, the victory over sin and death that we have in Jesus. What's the old adage? You, you can't appreciate how good the good news is until you know how bad the bad news is. And sometimes I wonder if we need to stop and think about what sin really does to us and how it separates us from God and, and how bad that bad news is. The wages of sin, as Paul talks about it. And just how good the good news is, what Jesus did for us, so that we can have this freedom. Maybe another reason we don't live in this freedom is a, a, it's just a feeling that we still have to earn this salvation. And in, in that feeling, and, and actually every other religion on the face of the earth actually has this tenant to it. There's this works component, almost to the point where you really never know while you're on this earth if you're in good graces or not. Uh, and that's just not true of the gospel. That's not true for us as gospel people. Ephesians 2 tells us that we're, we're saved by grace. I think another reason we might not live in this freedom is uh, unconfessed sin, or maybe just a continual battle of trying to manage sin and not really being true and open to God. Another reason could be just a lack of obedience to his word, which means uh, we're not walking in his spirit. We're not in fellowship with God. And we received that free gift of grace, but we've done nothing with it since. And we really don't understand what it means to walk in freedom. There may be a number of reasons why we may not be walking in freedom. But today I want to focus on one particularly that I think all of us have probably experienced at one time or another. And forgiveness is going to be that key. We're going to talk about forgiveness. The gospel people are people of freedom, but that freedom comes when we, when we extend forgiveness to others in our life. Forgiveness is a tricky thing. Because on one hand, we all know as gospel people that we're, we're called to extend forgiveness to others. 
we know what the word says. Uh, look, man, look at this. this. is just what Paul reminds us again. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Ephesians 4, 32. And then in Luke, he says, Jesus says, do not judge and you won't be judged. Do not condemn, you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. It's a good reminder. So we know that forgiveness, it's, it's talked about, valued, encouraged, and we're admonished to live by the spirit of forgiveness. Yet for some reason, we struggle with forgiveness. You know, that whole idea of letting someone off without punishment. It feels unjust. It feels wrong. It feels almost like we're just rolling over and being used, giving up, being taken advantage of. And I think where we get hung up, and I know this is true for me in the past, where we get hung up is we get hung up with our emotions. When we've been wronged, hurt, or offended, it impacts us emotionally. And even though we know we are to forgive, we insist um, that we do so under certain conditions. But for I want to remind us all this morning as we read these scriptures and are reminded by God's word, forgiveness is not a feeling. It's an act. It's not an emotion. It's truly a choice. But it's not something we can just choose to do on our own. We just don't will it and get there someday. But it's something that must be sought seriously and intently through prayer and often in a prolonged manner with the Lord and then finally with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. You know, C.S. Lewis is quoted as saying, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. Forgiveness is not easy. So as we're going to talk about forgiveness, let's just acknowledge that from the beginning. Forgiveness is not easy. But I think it's the very reason why we're called to to forgive. Because the gospel people don't do easy things. Forgiveness, all reconciliation, requires that someone pay a price. True forgiveness isn't just getting over it and forgetting it and moving on. It involves a measure, sometimes a large measure, I'm actually dying to yourself with respect to deserve justice and amends or choosing to absorb the pain and offense out of love for the other and maybe more importantly, love for God. This is what Christ has done for us and this is what we often fail to do for others. In short, forgiveness is extending grace and mercy just as God extended it to us. There's this incredible example in scripture uh, someone who really struggled with with offering this, and it's it's a uh, it's a story we're all familiar with. And from the minor prophets, we're going to look at Jonah, and it's the one minor prophet that is written just uniquely different. It's told through story, and it begins. The book of Jonah starts by just saying, "The word of the Lord came to Jonah: Go to the city of Nineveh." to prophesy against it, for their great wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah, the reluctant prophet, turned and ran the other way. Jonah's saying, I'm not on board. I'm not on board with God's mission. 
Jonah hated Nineveh, the Ninevites. And, and let, me, let me give you a little bit of background of, of why this is. So Assyria was a great evil empire back at that time. And it was Israel's most dreaded enemy. Nineveh became the capital of Assyria during that time. And there were things that came out of Nineveh that Jonah was well aware of and that he just could not get his head or heart around and saying, I will not bring good news, grace and forgiveness to these people. Now, the book of Jonah doesn't talk much about Nineveh, but uh, Nahum does. And so one of the few things that he points out in the book of Nahum, that uh, the Ninevites were, they had evil plots against God. And it says that they exploited the helpless. And they were cruel to the Israelites in war. We'd probably call them war crimes today. They're guilty of idolatry, prostitution, witchcraft. So that's pretty ugly. It was uh, a people, uh, a nation that uh, certainly was not living for God and was in, in direct rebellion against God. And so Jonah's basically saying, they don't deserve your mercy, God. They don't deserve forgiveness. Now, that's a pretty bold stance to take against God. And the only way Jonah could deal with it, knowing that he was in opposition with God, was he ran. And you know how the story goes. I'm not going to go into all of that story. I'm just going to highlight Jonah's attitude towards the Ninevite. So Jonah flees. God pursues Jonah. God gets his attention in the belly of a whale. God says, Jonah, I'm serious. They need to know my mercy. Jonah says to God, I'm serious. I despise these people, and I don't think they deserve your mercy. So after getting his attention and being on his last breath in the, bail, the belly of a whale, Jonah concedes to God's plan, and you can read that in the book of Jonah, his words. Jonah goes to Nineveh. Reluctantly, he preaches repentance. And lo and behold, the people repent. And Jonah is not happy. It's a great story, but he is not thrilled. Here's people who turn from this evil that they were living in to a merciful God, and they were living in repentance, and yet Jonah's not happy about this. Jonah could not get past his displeasure and his hatred and his anger towards these people. So God says to Jonah, and this is the very last chapter of Jonah, as Jonah is sitting there kind of sulking, and God even continues to protect Jonah by giving him a bind to keep him in the shade and keep him fresh, and Jonah still is in this bad attitude, an attitude that doesn't reflect the gospel, doesn't reflect God's heart at all. And God says this to him. Do you have the right to be angry about the vine? And he said, I am angry enough to die, Jonah said. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this vine, though you, you didn't tend to it. You didn't make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, meaning they're lost. They're clueless. And there's many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about this great city, Jonah? And those are the last words of the book of Jonah. 
we don't get to understand what happens with Jonah here. Does he ever turn his heart? Does he ever get to that place of understanding um, or mercy and forgiveness? It's an interesting story. But I think it's there to highlight for us, like this is God's heart towards people who, who are not his people even. And his heart is that we too would bring mercy and forgiveness to others. And as evil as the Ninevites were, God still wanted them to live in freedom. And Jonah could not get his head and heart around that. Now, if I'm honest, I, I think many of us have a similar problem. And we don't talk about it, but we still have a similar problem with, with people in our lives like this. Perhaps it's a person, perhaps it's a group of people. I like what Andy Stanley once said. He goes, I, I believe I want the same thing God wants, mercy and justice. Mercy for me when I blow it and justice for the other guy. That's not forgiveness. At least that's not how it works in God's economy. So, so to get to forgiveness, what, what it looks like, and how people freedom of freedom, how gospel people can live, I, I think it'd be a good idea to clarify what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not. So let's let's talk about what we're not talking about forgiveness. Um, and I think we have, an, sometimes we have an understanding. And so first, I just wanna say that forgiveness is not the same as forgetting. And, and as a matter of fact, rarely do you ever really fully forget. But there's something about living in grace and mercy that does allow you to move on from dwelling on it and it becoming your motivating factor. You don't forget, but you can move on. Forgiveness is not the same as reconciling. Although this is desired and we hope that we can get there, this is not always possible. And so actually what I'm saying here is that there may not be reconciliation, but there can still be forgiveness. And that is the power of the gospel. That's the freedom of the gospel. Forgiveness is not the same as excusing. It's not saying, oh, well, they don't know what they're doing. They're just, you know, they don't know the right hand from the left. It's not just letting them off and excusing them. You actually need to work through the degree of hurt and how it has actually hurt you. And you might need someone to help you do this, to walk through it in counseling. But to call it truly what it is, to truly forgive, um, it is not excusing. Forgiveness is not a simple act or a decision. It, is, it isn't. It often takes time, and it's a process or a journey of the soul. And forgiveness doesn't depend on the offender admitting wrong. And this is one that really has always bugged me. Because this is my insistence. This is kind of where I would say even Jonah was landing. They're not even asking for forgiveness, God. Why would we go there? This may be the hardest part of forgiveness because sometimes it may never happen. Maybe the offender will never actually admit to anything. But you can only control your response to this. You can't control theirs. And so that's going to be really important. Understanding that forgiveness does not depend on whether or not the offender admits the wrong. But I think it's really important, too, to acknowledge that forgiveness is not weakness. Not at all. Actually, forgiving is a sign of strong character. And, it's, and we see that when we see the Gospels, when we see Paul's writings here. It, forgiveness 
is the reality of the gospel. So that's, to me, that's a, song, a sign of strong character that has been changed by Christ. So I want to talk about how forgiveness uh, leads to freedom. How can we avoid having a heart like Jonah? Someone who will not let go of this, this offense unless there's justice. I know I've lived there myself. Someone who says they don't deserve God's mercy. I don't want to be that person. Yet, I don't know about you, I've been there. And I've been there too many times in my life. You know, I was, when I was thinking about this and preparing this message, I thought about a book I read uh, several years ago and it came out in a movie, and some of you are going to know exactly what I'm talking about, of a World War II hero named Louis Zamperini. Uh, the book was titled Unbroken. What an amazing story. Louis was an Italian immigrant. He became an, uh, an Olympic athlete just out of high school. Went to the 1936 Summer Olympics in Berlin. He was a track star, and he was just driven. Uh, so he, Louis went to the Olympics. He didn't win, but he came back, and he was just determined. He trained hard, and he was, goes to college, and he sets collegiate records left and right. So as he's preparing for the Summer Olympics, the next Summer Olympics, World War II intervened. So as World War II comes around, Louis enlisted in the Army Air Corps. He was known as flying B-24 bombers in the war. On a mission over the Sea of Japan, his plane went down and he crashed into the sea and he and two others in the plane survived the crash. And they ended up floating in a raft, a rubber raft, for 47 days. 47 days, a month and a half, fighting off starvation, thirst, fighting off sharks, actually hitting a shark in the nose to keep him from coming overboard, and then dodging Japanese fighter planes, shooting at them in the water, just a sitting target. Ultimately, after 47 days, they were captured, and then they spent over two years, Louis spent over two years in war camps, being tortured physically and psychologically. It was brutal, it was hard to read. And it was hard to believe that anybody could survive something like this. Here's the amazing part. After he was released and he came back, a war, he, Louis came back a war hero, as you can imagine. And there were celebrations. And there was, it was, there was just victory. But as time went on and the celebrations subsided, this whole nightmare took a toll on Louis. He turned to alcohol to cope, to numb the pain. And through it all, he almost lost his marriage and he almost lost his life. But one day, one day he ended up hearing on his last leg, he ended up hearing Reverend Billy Graham share the gospel, a very clear gospel presentation. And Louis turned to Jesus. He found salvation. It's an awesome story. And it took time for his faith to develop. And it took, to, although it took time, his heart turned towards grace and forgiveness because even though he had Jesus, he knew he still had this unforgiveness and this bitterness and this anger in his life from what he had experienced in the war. And no one was telling him that he needed to do this, but he just got to a place in his faith where he realized that he was not going to be able to find fruit, true freedom in Christ unless 
he forgave those who tortured him. Can you imagine he, to forgive those who did this for two years? If you read the book and if you know what I'm talking about, it, it's just amazing to imagine this. So as a matter of fact, he was asked in 1998 to help carry the torch. And later he's very, very old, much more older at this point in his life. And he's carrying the torch and this is the Olympics in Japan. And so while they're in Japan, he goes to the very camp that he was tortured to offer forgiveness to those who had beat him. Now, not all of them were there, but some were there. Now the one, the bird was not there, but he offered forgiveness. Forgiveness. Louis offered forgiveness. And here's the key. The freedom that he walked away with, knowing that he no longer had to carry the anger and the frustration and the bitterness and the rage that might have been in his heart. He didn't have to do that because he understood what Jesus had done for us on the cross. That Jesus did not have to carry any of that, yet he did because he loved us. And Louis knew that he had to do the same thing. He had to forgive. When I read something like that, I stop and I think, he was able to offer forgiveness to people who tortured and beat him almost to death. And yet, I hold on to unforgiveness for some of the most petty things. Now, I don't know exactly what the outcome was for those he forgave. But my guess is there was a freedom even in their lives as well. But I do know this. Louis talked a lot about freedom. He was able to live in because he was able to forgive. This, this is what gospel people do. This is what Paul call, talks about. This is what Jesus calls us to. So I just want to wrap up some thoughts on forgiveness and living in freedom and just talking about the fruit of forgiveness. What does forgiveness look like? Well, forgiveness, it gives us freedom in the following ways. First, it, it, it releases me from the bondage of hatred, bitterness, anger, and indifference. And I, I just, I'm going to start by just sharing a story of my own life. And I, and I, I believe I maybe shared a version of this story in the past from the pulpit, but there was a point in my life where I had uh, bitterness and an anger and probably an indifference towards somebody in my life that it just, I managed it. And I thought I was doing pretty good. And really what I was doing was just kind of burying it. And I learned to live with it. Yet if I were honest with myself, some of that bitterness and anger would kind of bubble up and come out, and oftentimes in times and places that I never expected it. And there was a day where I was sitting on my front porch, I was reading God's word, I was praying, and all of a sudden this person's name came to my mind, and I just felt like God saying, are you ready? Are you ready to forgive? Are you ready to let go of this? And I, I just was, I was just in a place like, yes. And so I got on my knees and I just had a prayer of forgiveness. I just, I asked God to forgive me for my anger and bitterness. And then I just released this person and I forgave them because I knew that we weren't going to have that kind of reconciliation conversation. But 
what happened from that is it released me from this bitterness and this anger. Um, and it just became a really awesome, awesome story. So next, I think not only does the fruit of forgiveness release me from the bondage, it allows us to act as God acted through love, mercy, and compassion, and empathy. So going back to my story, one of the things that I did not know was going to happen was I began to see this person not through that, that brokenness or that, that broken relationship. I, saw, I began to see them through the eyes of empathy. And I, I felt like I was really given this gift to be, be able to see them the way God was seeing them. They were broken. And they were lost. And, and in, when I really look on it, I realize like they were never going to be able to reconcile because they didn't know how to get there. And it was only in God getting me to that place of empathy was this relationship able to get on some decent ground that we could actually relate to one another again. I'm so grateful for that. And it was hard. And it wasn't something I actually chose in the moment. It's something that God's spirit came and just helped me get there. I'm really grateful for that. So I recognize that it, when, when I mean that it says it allows us to act as God acted, it freed me to love as Jesus loved. It frees us to love as Jesus loves. Remembering that he loved us first. He forgave us first. He calls us to do the same. I think a third thing that forgiveness does, it allows God's story to continue. And this is something that I realized in my own story that God's story was not being written in my relationship with this person at all. I mean, I just didn't offer love and grace at all. I didn't relate to the person I avoided. So there was no story to be written. But when I got to a place of forgiveness and empathy, all of a sudden, God's story started, be, it was starting to be written all over again. And I can't go into all of the story, but I can tell you that this is what God was doing with the Ninevites. He was saying, their offenses have come before me. So what's God's response? They need to know about my, <laughs> my truth. They need to know about my heart, how I love them. And he wanted to reconcile them so they could know about who he is. And when you know, reconciliation comes, that forgiveness comes, that repentance comes, what happened was now God's story is being written in the lives of the Ninevites. That's crazy. That's what happened in Louis's life. That's what can happen in our life. When we allow God's story to continue through forgiveness, this beautiful story can start being written all over again. I think about the many times where I have not offered reconciliation or forgiveness to people and how because of my unforgiveness, I have not allowed God's story to be written in their lives. Now, I know it doesn't all depend on me, but there's often times where all it takes is an act of forgiveness and God's story can be written in a beautiful way. I don't know about you, but I want to see more of that. And then finally, I want to tell you the last thing, the fourth thing, the fruit of forgiveness is forgiveness leads to freedom. There's this beautiful freedom that we can live in and we're not tied down to anger and to, to frustration. We're actually free to just extend God's love as he was free to give it to us. 
And it's just, it's what Jesus did that, man, the Pharisees couldn't understand how Jesus was loving these, these sinners. He was just free to love because he was living through forgiveness. Here's the thing. Gospel people are people who are called to live in freedom. And so to live in freedom, we must extend the same mercy and grace that God gave us through forgiveness. If we're going to get there, then we should remember the cross and the empty tomb. When we are reminded of this amazing love that was behind mercy and, and forgiveness, then we realize what he did first, what he is now calling us to do. N.T. Wright, with, the, with Easter in our mind as the backdrop, backdrop N.T. Wright calls this the Easter effect. Eugene Peterson calls it resurrection living. I like that. It means living your life as if Easter really mattered. It means living your life like we truly would live in a different way because of what Jesus did on the cross and because that tomb was empty. We were offered forgiveness. We were undeserving of this. And we are called to do the same for others. Today, we're calling it living in freedom. So as we close, let me ask you, is there someone in your life that God's calling you to forgive? I had to think about this myself. I think I want to ask you to take a few minutes to do the same. Is there someone that needs to know of his mercy and grace? Is there a relationship in your life that needs God's story to continue? when it's been stalled out because of unforgiveness. Maybe God's saying, should I not be concerned about them? As he said to Jonah. And maybe he's saying, should you, should you not be concerned about them? Gospel people, let's be people who live in freedom. Amen.